fully alive. Now, there is a, uh, there's a clarification I want to make with this title, Fully Alive. Fully alive does not mean that everything is going great in your life. Fully alive just means you are living life to its fullest, but that does also include the bad. Right? If you're living life to its fullest, you're going to experience everything life has to offer. It's not all good. The Bible never promised you that God only offers you good things in life. Now, all good gifts come from God. Yes, if it's a good gift, it's from God, but there are things in life that God allows. We live in a cursed body, dwelling on a cursed earth. Not all will be good in this life, but to you, for you to fully live this life, you will have the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some people... They want to run from the bad. So I don't, I don't want bad in my life, so I'm going to go this way. The problem is you don't recognize by running from the bad, you're missing out on some of the good that was also there. See, it's hard to pick and choose to pick out the bad from the good. You can't always do that. And so you just abandon it altogether, and you miss out on so many opportunities. Let's talk about relationships. Uh, well, relationships are so hard. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you open up your heart to someone, when you connect with someone, you have to address their issues. Their issues now become part of your life. They're calling you. They're texting you when they have problems. When they hurt, you hurt. So you know what? It's easier to just not have relationships at all. It's easier to limit my friendships to just one person, my, my spouse, and like one person because it's just too much work to have friends, to broaden my circle brings too much pain. We're going to talk about that today. But here's the problem. When you run from relationships, because of often in relationships, there's hardship. When you run from them, you also miss out on the joys, the love, the peace, the comfort, the support that those relationships bring you as well. And so if you're not careful, if you try to limit this life and what God has for you, in your head, you're thinking, I'm only limiting the bad, God. I want to keep the good and eliminate the bad. And God says, it just doesn't work that way. When you limit what I have for you because you think it's not good, you're also limiting what is the good that comes with it. And I want to remind you, in Romans chapter 8, we are told that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So even when you are fully alive and being fully alive, feeling intense pain, feeling intense sorrow, you have to understand this truth, that those who are walking with Christ, let me clarify again, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That phrase, called according to his purpose, doesn't mean God asked. It means God asked and you followed. So that phrase implies the idea that you are following the calling. So if you love God and are following his calling, then even, are you ready for this? Even sorrow has its purpose. Even pain is part of God's plan, and not just part of his plan to, to make something in your life come about, but part of God's plan to assist someone else. Others can benefit from your pain. You say, well, that sounds morbid. What kind of God would want others to benefit from my pain? Here's the, here's the truth about humanity. Everyone goes through pain. So if when, when you experience pain... In God's hands, he's holding you, and you experience pain, you can show others 
who are going through pain outside of God's hand how it looks in God's hands. Others can benefit from your pain. You say, well, that's pretty cruel that God would want to teach others a lesson about pain through my pain. No, what God wants to show others is how we can handle pain in his presence. But you can't show others that if you don't yourself suffer pain on occasion. Well, I'd rather God just teach them. Well, how is he going to teach them? They're not looking at him. They're looking at you. So God is going to use what they're looking at to teach him that truth. I could go on and on. The point is, when you love God and follow him, there is good, there is bad, there's even ugly. But it all has a purpose. It's all part of his plan. And it brings him glory, furthers his kingdom. You are fully alive, experiencing everything to its fullest that God desires of you. So let's take a look now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter this morning. I'm not going to read all of these verses at this time. I'll read the first. We'll kind of skip around, and then I'll read the rest as I preach through it. So verse 1, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, when we could not stand it any longer, when we, when we couldn't hold on any longer, what did we do? We thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Remember, the context. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. The church that he had to leave after just a short time because of persecution. The church that was founded in persecution, started in persecution. Literally from its infancy, the city attacks this church and its leaders. That's how they started. He says, I've been worried about you guys. I've been anxious. I had said the other week, anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is your body's response to a chemical imbalance, response to lies that you believe or lies that have been told you. It's response to a lot of things. The anxiety is not a sin. It's what you do with the anxiety that could lead to sin. The apostle Paul was anxious. He said, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to know how you were doing. And so it was a good idea. We agreed. Who's we? Uh, Silas, me, Timothy. We agreed that I'm going to hang out and send Timothy back to Thessalonica to check in on you, to see how you're doing, because my mind was driving me crazy with all of the thoughts of what could be happening at Thessalonica. Did the church fall apart? Was Jason arrested and killed? Uh, did, did, did they grow? Uh, did, did another leader come in and, and, and turn them from God, away from truth? And Paul just couldn't stand it anymore. Verse 2, I sent Timoth- Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and a fellow laborer in the gospel to establish you, comfort you concerning your faith. I love that. A, a lot of preachers are so intense when it comes to passing out truth. Truth, truth, truth. Truth is all that matters all the time. And if you walked away with truth, I did my job. I, I, I understand that mindset. I understand where they're coming from. I just don't agree with it. Yeah, truth is important. We, we need to worship the, the, our Father God in, in spirit and in truth. The truth will set us free, right? God, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not saying to ever replace truth with anything. Truth does not need to be replaced. Truth should never be replaced. But truth doesn't need to be offered by itself. You ever been to someone's house and they invite you over for dinner? 
And uh, you're so excited just to hang out with some friends, and they, they, they put you down to the table. And what do they do? They, they probably got, they got cheese and crackers or fruit or something before the meal. Then they give you the meal, and there's just they bring out, like, salad. They got, they got a buffet on the counter, and they keep feeding you. And then when you're done, they want to give you dessert, and then they want you to take it home with you, right? Have you ever been a place where you show up, and they give you one piece of chicken, and that's it? I mean, who does that? No one does that, right? Is the chicken good? I, I mean, chicken's good. I love chicken. Love it all styles. Barbecued, fried, I grill. I don't care. I love chicken. But, hey, I like to have things with the chicken. I like to eat something alongside the chicken so it's not just chicken. Now, I will tell you this. I will eat a good steak by itself. You give me a steak, I am happy. I'll take just water. I'm good if I don't have water. I'll take steak by itself. But, look, most of the time we're eating our food with other things. Truth is the same way. Truth is great, truth is good, but the Apostle Paul said, I sent Timotheus not just to establish you in truth, not just to make sure that you don't stray from what is true. What else was Timothy attempting to do when he arrived? Comfort you. Comfort. The Bible says truth in love. There are many ways in which you can love someone. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us literally a list If you're like, Pastor Russ, how does a Christian love others? No problem. I got the answer. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. It's all there. There's a list of things that can be done to show people love. One of them is for sure comfort. Not comfort to get something from you. Not comfort to manipulate you down a path. Not comfort to gain loyalty. Comfort for comfort's sake. Comfort offered in love with no ulterior motive, then I desire you to find peace through the comfort that I give. That's the kind of comfort God offers us. And that's the kind of comfort God wants us to pass on to others. Verse three, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. We've talked about this in the previous chapters. The Apostle Paul reminding them again, look, affliction's a part of life. It's a part of being alive. It's a part of being alive for the cause of Christ. Affliction, tribulation, sorrow, pain. It's part of this cursed world we live in. Let's turn to verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all your affliction, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. He says, we were afflicted, we were distressed, anxious, afraid, bothered, but we found comfort in our relationship with you. As I said, you can push people out of your life because people bring problems. People are problems, and you're people, and you also are problems, all right? We're all problems. You can push people out of your life because people are problems, but when you do, you cannot receive what those problems give you. And it's not always problems. All the time, for most. Sure. I'm, I'm sure there are a few out there who are only always problems. You have to determine those relationships very carefully. Most people, there's both problems and comfort. And when you push out the problems, you push out the comfort. Let's jump down now to verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. 
Perfect has the idea of bring to maturity, bring to completion. Perfect in this verse does not mean sinless without sin. That's not what it's saying. He's not saying we hope to bring you to a place of sinlessness where you are perfect in this life and never do wrong again. He's saying we hope to bring you to a place of maturity, uh, perfectness, where we don't have to worry about the direction you're going. We know that you are strong in your faith, established in truth, and heading down a path of success. Verse 12, and the Lord Make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Do as I say, not as I do. That's just foolishness. Dads, if those words have come out of your mouth, I'm calling you out right now. Don't ever, ever say that to your child ever again. It's a poor saying at best, and a destructive saying at worst. Children are not smart enough, holy enough, mature enough to only hear what you say and ignore what you do. Even adults aren't interested in playing that game with you, let alone children. If a child is in your life and you want them to love their siblings, show them what that looks like. Well, I do. I love their, my children, their siblings. They should see how I love their brothers and sisters. No, no. Show them how you love their mother or their father. Show them how you love your boss and your friends by what you say and by what you don't say around your children. Show them how adults should love adults. Don't just tell them. Show them. And then correct them when they don't follow your example. How dare you correct them for following your example? What are you thinking? You don't live in a perfect world, and your children aren't perfect. Their, their minds operate where often we do what influences us. And your words do not influence the children in your life nearly as much as your actions influence the children in your life. And the adults in your life are influenced by your actions a whole lot more than they are influenced by your words. He says... Paul says, I want you to love others as you have seen us love you. Do what we do. And then last verse, verse 13. To the end. To what end is the Apostle Paul wanting this of them? He says, to the end, he, Christ, God, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. He says, my desire is that at the end, when I stand before God, you're standing with me. Not to speak for me, not that I speak for you, but that both of us have made it to heaven. My desire is that you are saved. And not only that you are saved, when you stand before Christ, you stand before him and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is it possible for a Christian to stand before Christ, saved, going into eternity, and not hear those words? I think it is. Personally, I believe that is possible. I believe there are a lot of prodigals running from God. They've accepted Christ as their Savior because salvation is free. It is offered by God. There is nothing you could do to get it, to gain it, to keep it. If it is in your life, it is because God gave it to you through faith. But then a lot of prodigals run from God. 
They are saved as by fire, meaning when they die and God says, let's take all of your works and put them in the fire and see what comes out the other side. Hmm, nothing comes out the other side. You were saved as by fire. That's all you got was your salvation. Nothing came out of your life but your salvation. I don't want to be someone who's just saved. I don't want to be someone who lives life knowing I'm going to heaven and that's enough for me. No, I want to be someone who lives life wanting others to have what I have. I don't want to be saved as by fire, everything burnt up, nothing on the other side. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The Apostle Paul is saying the same for the church in Thessalonica. He says, of course, I want you to be saved, but not, not just saved. When you stand before Christ, I want you to stand before him in a way, as I will, that we won't be uh, have, having lived a life of, of unrighteousness and wickedness and blame and darkness. We will have lived a life unblameable that God used for his kingdom. Fully alive, folks. I see three points this morning in the message. Enduring tribulation, enjoying devotion, and anticipating completion. Let's go to number one, verses one through five. Enduring tribulation. I've already told you that to be fully alive, you cannot just pick out the good. If you are going to fully embrace life and fully live life as God intends it, you will suffer. The Apostle Paul said, you went through tribulation, you knew you would, affliction, I warned you that it was going to happen. It's part of life. I am not telling you you are wrong to pray God, to pray and ask God to take you out of the affliction. It's not a bad thing to ask God to take you from affliction. But please include this in your prayer. God, take me out, but until you do, teach me what I need to know. And then when I come out of it, use it for the benefit of someone else. Don't let it go to waste, God. If you're going to bring me through affliction, please, please, please use it for the benefit of another. Help someone else see me now so they can also walk out of affliction later. Give me the strength to get through it so when I am out on the other side, I will not look back within my actions with regret. Yes, God, get me out of affliction. Rescue me from my enemies. But do not make me an enemy of you in the meantime. Through bitterness, through anger. Letter A, love is pain. Love is pain, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens. Verse 5, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you and our labor, be in vain. Love is pain, because when you love someone, you are giving them a piece of you, and you are taking a piece of them. You are making a trade. The trade isn't always fair. In many relationships, the peace you give to them is your best. And unfortunately, sometimes you receive the worst from them. I wish I could tell you that every relationship of love was a fair trade. I wish I could tell you that for every time you comfort, you receive comfort. For every time you are kind, you will receive kindness. For every success that you live for another, they will live a success for you. I wish I could tell you that it isn't true. 
You say, well, that's the kind of love I want. I get it. I know why you would. It's called conditional love, and a lot of people have exactly that kind of love, conditional love. I will only give you the best when I receive the best. I will only give you good when I receive good. I will only be kind when I receive kind. I will give as I receive. That is conditional love. Parents know the truth. Parents know that we don't live conditional love. Our children wouldn't survive it. They would never eat. They wouldn't live inside the house. They wouldn't have new clothes. Children enjoy unconditional love, and they don't even know it yet. Unconditional love is how God loves us. God doesn't love us and only give to us as we love and give to him. God loved us first. We love him because he loved us. We follow him because he called us. We serve him because he allows us. We find success because he offers success. God always gives the best before we do. You've received unconditional love from God. God now asks you to give it out. Pastor Russ, to give unconditional love is painful. I found in my life, Pastor Russ, that the people I love dearly hurt me the most, I know. Welcome to the love club, I know. It hurts to love people. And sometimes it hurts so much you don't think you can love them anymore. You think the only response left is to walk away. How can you keep loving them when it hurts so much to love your child who runs from God, runs from you, runs from success, runs from health? They, they literally are running from everything good to bad. Like you, you don't... They have to try so hard to make so many bad choices. And yet you love them. And the more pain they suffer, the more it hurts you because you love them. Indirectly, you're hurt when they hurt. And directly, they actually hurt you. They lie to you. They steal from you. They abuse you emotionally, sometimes physically. They are cruel to you. They talk bad about you to your face. They talk bad about you behind your back. All of their problems, they blame on you. All the problems that haven't happened yet, the ones that are ahead, they're already blaming on you. And your love just makes that pain even harder to bear. Love is pain. Why would we bother? To what end would we love someone when so much pain is tossed our way. To what end? Go back again to verse 13. This is the end. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. Why do you love someone? Well, I love them because they're family. I have to love them. Wrong answer. Why do you love someone? Because if I don't, no one else will. Wrong answer. Why do you love someone? I'm obligated. I'm a Christian. Wrong answer. Why do you love? Because I'm a loving person. Wrong answer. Why do you love your spouse? Why do you love your children? Why do you love your church? Why do you love your neighbors, your coworkers, your boss? And you say, I don't. Well, that's a whole other problem. For the ones that you do, why do you love them? To the end, for the 
purpose of helping them gain success. That is why. You love your family, spouse, and children so that they might be successful. You love your friends. You love others so that they might be successful. When you understand that, it changes how you love someone. Now you don't love them in a way that enables their destruction because that's not why you love them in the first place. You love them to help them gain success. So the choices you make, the things you allow and don't allow, the things you say and don't say, the way you do and do not connect with them, now it's all towards the end of their success because that's why you love them unconditionally to get them here. When you love them out of obligation, you'll let them do whatever they want and you'll love them through enabling them. If you love them out of obligation, you will love them no matter what they do and not help them to success because you're doing your part. It doesn't matter what they do. You did your job. Check mark. Let's move on. No, but when you love someone to success, you take the pain, you take the hit, you take the hurt, all with this purpose. I want to get them from here to here. Success. And if I have to take the pain along the way, I will unconditionally love them to get them here. But do not lie to yourselves. Love is pain. And you have caused a lot of other people pain in their love for you. Your mother, your father, others in your life who went through untold bouts of pain when you were young and when you were old (laughs) and how you treated them. Letter B. God may intend for us to suffer, but he does not intend for us to suffer alone. Remember, we're talking about enduring tribulation. Unfortunately, some of the tribulation you are enduring is directly related to the people you love. You chose the wrong people to love. That could be said, but the the point is this. You chose to love people. That's the real truth. Wrong people, right people. You chose to love people, and therefore, there's tribulation. There is pain because you chose to love a person or people. You can endure through tribulation. And how do we endure through tribulation? I can tell you this. You don't do it alone. Verse 2. Sent Timotheus down to Thessalonica. Why? So they wouldn't be alone. Verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Verse 4. For verily, when we were with you, we were not alone. We told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And you know... And if you look at verses 1 and 2 again, you'll recognize the Apostle Paul was not alone. He allowed himself to be alone for a time so that the church of Thessalonica would not be alone. But that was only for a time. They were going to come back to Paul. So again, he was not alone. He said, Pastor Russ, it is hard to love people. Love is pain. Yes, I know that. Then how does one get through the pain of loving people with people. Well, that's just circular reasoning. If you love people and it's painful, but you get through the pain because of people, it seems like the cause is the effect. Just eliminate both. I know I told you and I warned you of that temptation to do so. There's a strong temptation to eliminate the cause and the effect both. Get it out of your life, which means get people out of your life and live the life of a loner. I get it. It's not the successful way. And you are not helping anyone else become successful. Because again, love isn't about you. Love is about getting them from here to here. But, folks, but, don't do it alone. Now, here's where your choices come into play. There are people 
who are more people than other people are people. There are people who have more people problems in their life than other people who have problems, but not as much as the other people who have problems. This is when your choices make a big difference. If you only surround yourself and only choose to love people who have extreme problems, and those are the only people you're around, then yeah, you're going to suffer and you're going to suffer hard. But when you choose to love both people with all kinds of problems and help them get from here to here, and you choose to love people who've already headed or are heading in this direction, now the people who are heading in this direction who have arrived in a, in a better place, those people can help you love these people. These people can help you endure the pain that these people bring in your life. But there is a danger. There is a danger in loving these people. Those who headed towards success have arrived at success. The danger is this. In your head, you think, ah, these people could never hurt me. What world are you living in? And the moment they do hurt you, what do you do? You throw them out of your life. You expect these people to hurt you. They could do whatever they want, and you will always love them. They could literally steal from you, and you will not stop loving them. This person just doesn't text you back within the same hour, and you're already ghosting them. That is foolishness. Accept the humanity of these people just as much as you accept the humanity of these people. Do not limit this circle. Broaden this circle. Understand these people will hurt you because they're still people, and you hurt them because you're a person. Work through it together. Talk through it together. The Bible gives you steps on how to address an offense caused by you, by these people. Your circle that's there to support you. They are there to support you, but they make mistakes. They mess up, and they also will cause you pain. But you will just inflict more pain on your life if you eliminate this circle altogether, and all you have left is these people. You need both. These need you, and you need them. It gives you purpose. A purpose in your life to get them from here to here. And these need you because you help them as they help them. And you need them because they help you as you help them. The Bible said it's called your church. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And when we assemble together, what's the purpose? To worship? Yes. To praise? Yes. To hear preaching? Yes. It's in the Bible. But also to encourage, to exhort, to lift up, to stand next to, to support one another. Your church needs to be this circle right here, this one. If it's not, you're in the wrong church. If your church is this circle, you need a new church. This is your circle. This is your church. We are here. We are people. We make mistakes. And when we make mistakes and we make offenses, we address them. We work through them. We continue on. We lift each other up in this circle because every single one of us has this circle. We get what we need here to give what they need there, to bring them to here. Love is pain, folks. You can't ignore that. But God has given you his church, his family. God has given you himself to help you endure because he does not intend for you to endure the pain of love on your own. Number two, enjoying devotion. Verse 6 
But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted. Oh, it brought us so much comfort when we saw that our investment in you was bringing you to success. And, oh, to make it even better, you loved us back. You returned the love. Oh, it just warmed my heart. It brought me joy untold to see that my love for you was not in vain. And so quickly. I mean, we're talking months Months from people who never knew God to now are chasing after God and returning love to the Apostle Paul. He's just overwhelmed with joy. Letter A, love is joy. Now, the naive believe love is only always joy and are greatly distraught to find out otherwise. (laughs) And they lived happily ever after, two months into marriage. Wait, what? You don't agree with me? What? Where did that come from? I thought we would always agree on everything all the time. No, love is pain. Yeah, but love isn't always pain. It's naive of you to think that love is always joy. That every relationship only is happiness and smiles all the time. That love is only always excitement and euphoria. That is love. No, it's not. But I got to tell you. If love doesn't include moments of like this, then there's a problem. Because love should be both. Love is both. It is pessimistic of you to assume that love is only always pain. As I said, sure, there are people who will only always cause you pain. You limit that circle to the amount of people you can handle. And it should not be 50 or 100 people who only cause you pain all the time. Realistically, Someone like that who's only always paying all the time, I'm thinking like, you know, count them on one hand kind of thing. And by the way, for every one person that causes you pain only all the time, you better have five to seven who are on this circle to help you with the one on this side. Okay? But love is joy. Because in many relationships, the very people who cause you pain one day cause you overwhelming joy the next. And again, parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your children drive you crazy. You've been harassing, harassing them all day to do the same one thing they have still not done yet. Harassing them. And then when it's time for bed, you're in your bed steaming and stewing because they still didn't finish the one thing. And they come to your room and they hug your neck and they say, I love you, mommy. And you're like, all is forgiven, son. I love you so much. I love you. And you're crying in their shoulder like, okay, what's going on here? Love is joy. Folks, you know when relationships fall apart? They fall apart when you create an environment where you don't receive joy from the person you love. You don't let them bring you joy. You don't allow them to. You shut them out. Remember what I told you? Oh, well, people are painful. I'm just going to eliminate them altogether. Now, well, why don't you love them anymore? Well, I'm never happy around them. Yeah, because you shut them out. You don't give them the chance to bring you joy. Again, I understand in some relationships, there are some people who will never bring you joy. They'll never bring you happiness. Limit those to a small amount. But in most cases, if you love someone and they love you, there will be those moments of joy. Open your heart to them. See them for what they are. Embrace them. And recognize it is God's grace to you 
that the very people who cause you pain can also be the people who bring tears to your eyes, where you are just singing God's praises because they're in your life. Now, you may not feel that way the next day, but you sure do for that moment. Love is pain. Love is joy. You'll get both. You'll give both in loving others. Letter B, your devotion does not guarantee the success of another, but it does bring fulfillment when they find it. Remember, what's your purpose for loving someone unconditionally? To get them from here to here. So that, that's going to determine how you love them, where you love them, when you love them, to get them from here to here. And when they get to here, oh man, you are so fulfilled. You feel like you are fully alive when you see someone get saved. When you see someone who is saved, reconnect with God. When you see someone who is saved and reconnecting with God, bringing someone else now to Christ. It's like multiplication. It just overwhelms your heart. Verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live. Now we live. That's the idea of fully alive. It's not that we were dead, now we're alive. He's saying, now we're really living. Now we are alive like we haven't been in a long time. To gain the report from Timothy that when he got back, you weren't just the same. You were better than how he left. You mean better. Whoa. Didn't see that one coming. I was scared the whole time you'd be worse. I'd have been happy if you had just maintained. But to be better? That's got to be God. And the fact that God used me in any way to get you there, and the fact that, that you love me back the way that you do, oh, just brings me to this, this, this state of feeling so alive. Verse 8, now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul is experiencing an amazing thing with the church at Thessalonica. You've got to understand that. This is not how he felt about every church, and this is not his experience with every church. The Apostle Paul connected with a lot of people and started a lot of churches, and not all of them ended up like this church in Thessalonica. Do not assume that if you love someone unconditionally that they will make it to here. You cannot assume that. But I'll tell you what you can assume pretty safely, that if no one, if no one loves them unconditionally, the chances of them getting to here is pretty slim. That you can assume. If you want to give them a chance, they need your unconditional love. They need it. Then they have a chance. Yes, they still got to make choices. They still got to find humility. They've got to seek Christ, embrace the truth, and apply the truth. They still got to do all those things, but they need someone to show them how. They need someone to show them where. They need someone to show them what. And they are more likely to listen first and to the fullest to those that love them. If anyone, anyone loves your child more than you, your child is going to be influenced by them more than they are by you. You say, Pastor Russ, no one loves my child more than me. That's not possible. may not be possible. What does your child think? Because unfortunately, it doesn't matter so much what's true. That is what they think is true. If your child thinks that someone else loves them more than you, they will be influenced by them over you. They will hear what they have to say over what you have to say. They will follow the example of them over your own example. You say, well, how can I compete with this other person who only gets to do good things for them all the time, whereas my child lives with me, and they see the worst of me? How can I compete with that? 
you need to explain to your child what love is. Help them recognize the truth of love and then pray for God's grace on your life. You will love them unconditionally and God's grace on their life that they will see that unconditional love so that you might have the influence and the impact that you desire. But even then, even then, folks, whether it's a spouse, a child, a friend, a coworker, your unconditional love does not guarantee that they will get here to success. Because if it did, everyone in the world would be saved. Why? For God so loved the world. <laughs> if unconditional love guaranteed the spiritual success of all, then we'd all be saved and strongly serving Christ with or without you because we'd have it from God. If God's unconditional love does not guarantee their success, then you must understand that surely yours does not guarantee success. Accept that truth. Obviously, there'll be disappointment when the people you love continue self-destruction. But you shouldn't be shocked. Disappointed, I understand. But I'll tell you this, when those moments come where that person transfers from destruction to success, you will feel so fully alive, nothing else will compare to that moment in your life. When your child, the light turns on and they embrace success. When your spouse who's been struggling with pride, selfishness, feeling aloof from the family, disconnected. When your spouse comes home and says, I get it, I'm sorry, I recognize, I, I see what I've been doing. I'm ready to change. Here's what's gonna happen. When your spouse gets to that point, you will feel so, you will feel so alive when your unconditional love has brought them here. Devotion. Devotion to each other. God's devotion to us brings joy. And then number three, anticipating completion. Remember, what's our goal? Our goal is to get them to success. That's the completion. That's where we want to see people. Verse 10, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect, bring to maturity that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Letter A, love is Patience. Love is patience. Unconditional love does not expect overnight change. Unconditional love gives the other the opportunity to change and the time to change. Christian, you got to stop playing the role of God. You got to stop assuming that you know better than God, that if that person was really saved, I would see, and you fill in the blank, whatever, whatever change you expect to see. Stop it. If God can be patient with them, surely we can be patient with them. If God has been patient with you, surely you can be patient with him, with her. Love is patience. You know what impatience is? Impatience is what I want now. Patience is what you need, and I'll wait until you get it. Patience considers the other Impatience only considers yourself. Impatience is love. It is self-love. Selfishness. I'm unhappy until I get what I want from you. Some form of change. Whereas unconditional love says, well, my happiness actually isn't founded in you. It's founded in Christ, and I'm good there. So I will patiently wait 
for you to attain the success that I so desperately want for you. That's not just a family, that's in our church. As God grows this church, as he has, as he continues to grow this church, and as people come to this church who need patience, will you give it to them? Will you say, God loves you, I love you unconditionally, I don't love you to to keep you where you're at, I love you to get you to success, and I will patiently walk with you until you get there. To success. Love is patient. Paul says, we didn't stop praying for you. Night and day, we didn't stop praying for you. And then letter B, God's not done. God's not done, verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he, God, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. God's not done. That's funny, we, we speak that to children, we preach it to children, we sing it with children. You know, he's still working on me, right, to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the sun and the star, uh, sun and the earth, the moon and the stars, Jupiter and Mars, and, and goes on to talk about how, how loving and patient he must be, he's still working on me. We teach that to children. Oh, you got time. God's good. God's not going to abandon you. God will be patient with you. And then we become adults, and we think that, oh, they're not going to change. They could never change. According to who? According to your limited personal opinion, they could never change? Oh, that's worth a lot. Oh, they can most definitely change. Anyone can change. And the greatest source of life change, Christ, who is the way to change, the truth for change, and the life that you find after change. The way, the truth, and the life is Christ. He is the change. Anyone and everyone can embrace Christ. Anyone and everyone has already been loved by Christ, called by Christ, offered by Christ the chance of salvation. Therefore, anyone can change. And maybe, maybe they're not changing because you won't change. You won't change your mind thinking they can't change. You won't change from impatience to patience. You won't change from conditional love to unconditional love. You won't change from pride to to humility. And maybe you are hindering their change by your lack of change. It is time for us to look within and say, what must I change to best set up those I love for change? The Bible says, look to yourself, right? Pull that log out of your eye before you help someone else with a splinter in theirs. What do I need to change so my spouse can find it themselves? What do I need to change so my children can embrace true, successful change? What do I need to change so that others who meet me will want to change? Today is your chance to ask God that question. What needs to change? Not for them, but for me. God's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with the ones he loves, which is the ones you love. He's not done, folks. So if God's still working, it's time for you to say to him, what is it that you would have me to do? What would you have me to do? What a great question. Ask it sincerely. Be ready for a very hard answer and pray for the courage to embrace it.
Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you're not done. You've got a lot of work to do, I know. I see the hearts that are changing. I see the minds of some churning towards what you might be offering them, considering it as a possibility. I see that you're not done. I know you're not done with me. I know you're not done with those in this room. I pray that we would run towards change, that we might help others find the same. I pray that we would embrace the devotion that you give us and offer to others, recognizing that we will have to endure pain through devotion. There will be injury caused us by others. I ask that you'll give us the patience to accept that injury and the love to move on from it in forgiveness. I pray that our goal, our purpose, our motivation would be to help others not just look for, but find true success, completion, the completion you want to bring in their life, causing them to come to maturity, a place, a spiritual condition where they can now in turn help others. In Jesus' name, amen. Before 